Hey, everybody. It's time for another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Pash, longtime ESPN play-by-play announcer and voice of the Arizona Cardinals. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. You can also follow us on Twitter at PashPod. Well, today we get a national take on the Arizona Cardinals and the upcoming NFL season as we sit down with two members of the ESPN Monday Night Football crew. Longtime Sports Center anchor and play-by-play announcer Steve Levy, and also former NFL quarterback Brian Greasy, who won a national championship when he played at Michigan, also spent more than a decade as a quarterback in the NFL, including winning a Super Bowl, playing behind John Elway with the Denver Broncos. Steve and Brian are going to talk about what it's like to call Monday Night Football games. Also, what it's like working with Lewis Riddick, the third member of their booth. They're going to discuss the games they're looking forward to most in 2021. They'll talk Arizona Cardinals, and in particular, their thoughts on Kyler Murray. So, I worked for four years with Greasy calling college football games. I could not have been happier when he got the call, the promotion to do Monday Night Football, which certainly is one of the premier jobs in all of sports broadcasting. He, Steve, and Lewis had a tremendous year one under very challenging circumstances in 2020, and I look very much forward to their telecast here in year two. So without further ado, from ESPN's Monday Night Football, Steve Levy and Brian Greasy. Well, fellas, I appreciate you guys doing this. First of all, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting here, because I believe I told you both last year, you guys were awesome. I really enjoyed the broadcast last year. thought you two guys and Lewis uh, and Lisa, considering especially everything going on in the world, I got to imagine been very difficult testing every single game, doing all the meetings via Zoom, which we were doing for other Mm -hmm. sports as well. What was the biggest challenge for you guys last year in year one, kind of dealing with all the COVID protocols, not just for you guys, but for the teams, the coaches, and the players? Yeah, so there's, uh, it's complicated to unpack, right? There's so much, and, and, and couple that with um, the fact of all the attention that had been on the Monday night football booth, right? So we're trying to get all the attention off the booth and get it onto the field, and let's focus on the game. And, you know, Greece and I had worked together uh, doing the college games together for four years, so we had that rapport. But, you know, Lewis and Lisa didn't really know how we were going to fit in with that, and we couldn't hang out. I mean, there, there was no time that we were allowed to hang out. People are shocked, like, you know, whatever hotel is 10 minutes away from the stadium, we'd have to travel hotel to stadium separately, which is really weird. We weren't allowed on the field. Uh, We did not have a single drink or meal together. The four on air, the producer director knew as well. Really, Lisa Salters was the only one who'd done it on a regular basis. So um, there were a lot of things. There were a lot of challenges. I was really fortunate that I wasn't starting from scratch with Brian, too. Like, you know, that might have been too much, right? New producer, new director, three in the booth, which can be tricky, has its own sort of uh, issues. But in a year where you're not laying out for crowd noise, (laughs) that was the season to have three voices. Hey, guys, let's fill some clock here. (laughs) You know, after there's a touchdown, we need some people to start talking because there's no crowd shots. And so uh, those are just a handful of things. And, uh, you know, we tried to make it as good as possible, and we knew – uh, we knew we were going to be judged by whatever was coming through 
the television screen and the speakers. People didn't care that we didn't hang out, right? right. People didn't care we came separately. They just want to enjoy their Monday night football at home, and, and we were comfortable being judged by that. It was the season of no excuses. You know, there was a lot of reasons that uh, we could have put not as good of a product onto the air. But none of us uh, approached it with, hey, you know, we're going to use this as an excuse. We, we wanted to overcome what challenges there were um, and get better every week. Uh, to Steve's point, you know, we had to get to know each other a little bit and how we operated on the air. There's a lot of air traffic control with three people in the booth and, and Lisa on the field and John Perry uh, as well working from home which was a challenge every time there was an officiating question to, to bring John in from his basement of his house. Hmm. Um, so there was a lot going on, um, but I was really proud of the way that uh, we came together. And uh, in the most important year to bring the game home to fans because they weren't in the stands, uh, to do it in a way that was professional. And the other thing is, so this is, might be too inside, but we replaced people in the booth with monitors, okay, because in an effort to keep your six feet distance no spotter uh standing next to us there was a monitor and the spotter was in another booth no statistician instead of a statistician we had another monitor in front of us and so in essence you know you got to see the manicure of whoever was pointing to a place on the booth with their own camera so it was a bizarre year but we, we didn't know what to go off right it was our first year doing monday night football together um when i was still you know ready to jump out into space. I was so excited about it. Uh, I would have done it into a tape recorder myself. Well, I've always felt when people ask me, you know, what are the keys to a good broadcast? Chemistry is at the top of the list. Well, how do you build chemistry? You spend time together. Right. And if you can't spend time together, especially when you're away from the production meetings, you're, you're not sitting there watching tape together. You're just having dinner, having a glass of wine. If it's greasy, smoking a, a cigar. I don't know if Levy, you're in that group too. Or Cracker Barrel. We had pregame meeting at, at Cracker Barrel. See, Steve doesn't eat before the game, so you don't. No, so passion. That's what had, time kickoff is. We had a pregame meal every single week, and we'd always go to Cracker Barrel because we're in Tuscaloosa or we're right, in, right. you know, Mississippi somewhere. It's, it's Starkville. The only place to eat is Cracker Barrel, so right. that's where we would go have our pregame meal. Did a lot of 11 a.m. local games, 11 a.m. Central games. Tough. So we're, you Tough. know, it's 6:30 in the morning in our suits. <laughs> at, at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> we but, didn't stick out. <laughs> uh, but the time, because you mentioned you didn't really have that time, but you obviously worked together for four years, right? Because yeah. you went with Steve when, Steve, you came to college football. Spielman left for Fox. McElroy came with me. So it was four years. So you yep. guys had four yeah. years together. But I don't know if you guys knew Lewis. I mean, obviously you no. watched and respected Lewis. He's great on the air. But now you're working with a third person, and you don't get that time together. How did you guys make up for that lost time? Because it felt like you guys were – like when I watched and listened, the chemistry was good with the three yeah. of you. I, it seemed as if you were spending time together the way it came off in the air. Lewis hates you, first of all. He's wondering where his invite is. By the way, I, okay, just full Here disclosure. We Here we go. Full disclosure. Yeah. First of all, he couldn't care less. But <laughs> – I did email him several months ago, just him. Yep. <laughs> Before us. <laughs> exactly. So Lewis will come on a future show. But we're not here. But I figured, you know, I, I probably – We're going to spend the fourth quarter of the game talking about this, by the way. If I didn't get you guys now, between Levy you know, not answering his phone, oh, no, Greasy not go. returning texts, I yeah. figure if I don't get these two guys now when they're here, it's never going to happen. We're in the communication business, as, as, <laughs> as you know. The key to that is – no, so um, – my experience with Lewis has been Sports Center. 
I'd been on the road a little bit with Lewis. You know, we do the Sports Center at the Super Bowl all week and done segments with him. But again, not so. So it takes some time. It, it takes some time to figure out. Like we, he, I mean, as small as you know, can I call you Lou? Kind of thing. Like, no, oh, he wants to be Lewis. Like you know, that's little stuff that we don't know. It is not really a nickname there. And and the fir- you know, I just I wanted to get him smiling, right? I wanted to get him cracking up. And uh, one of the highlights of the season, this is ridiculous, by the way, because it has nothing to do with the game. It's week three. We have Kansas City and Baltimore, which was when the schedule comes out in April. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm sure, uh, you know, Fox and and NBC and see, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on there? How did we get that game? So uh, we get that game, and Lewis uh, is Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes. And Mrs. Mahomes winds up tweeting out something. His name is Patrick, in essence. His mom, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Mahomes, yeah. Well, oh. here's another Mrs. Mahomes. Okay. You know, he's married. Okay, fine. So <laughs> I knew what he was talking right. about. Why do you do I just that? want to make sure the fans at home know. I mean, apparently- Brittany, Brittany might have been his fiancée at the time. I don't know. Anyway, you knew what I meant, but that's that's what he does. See, you know, Patrick. Four years of it. So, uh, exactly. See, maybe there's a shelf life to him, right? So it's a four-year shelf life. Uh, we're on six now, but go ahead. Right. Anyway, so uh, so we're in the break, and, and, and it's being uh, revealed to us, hey, at Twitter, social media, uh, Patrick's mom is saying all this stuff. And I'm like, guys, we've got to throw it up on the screen. And, you know, some people didn't want to do it. Hey, we're not making fun. Anyway, we wound up doing it. Lewis got hysterical, one of the – Maybe our best early moment of the season, week three. And we it loosened everybody up. We cracked up. And I remember saying, you know, hey, you want him to be uh, – he wants to be called Patrick, though. You want to be called Lewis, <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody's calling you Lou. So he was Lou for the rest of the year. <laughs> so, uh, so it's, but it's moments like that. You can't fake the stuff. You can't uh, – it has to happen organically. We didn't have any preseason games as well. But I thought that was a really good yeah. jumping-off point for the three of us in the booth. Yeah, and I, and I think that Lewis brings – and I had no interaction or experience with Lewis prior to, to last year other than playing against him on the field. But I think that he brought a different perspective, obviously a defensive perspective and a general manager's perspective, or, not, or a front office perspective, I should say, um, that was different, uh, that was useful, that – um, in in certain points in the game, it gave us an opportunity to go back and forth on a point. So maybe we peel the onion back a little bit deeper than we would normally if it was just the two of us up there. Um, I can give an offensive perspective. He can give a defense, defensive perspective. Or in a game that was not a close game in the second half, like we had a game of Seattle and Philadelphia um, or the New England uh, game later in the year where we can dive in in the third and fourth quarters into some front office conversations, mm-hmm. the future of a team, how they should be built, you know, looking forward, just conversations that went deeper than they would have otherwise had we only had two guys in the booth. What are some of the games as you look at the schedule for this year that you're excited about? I'm sure you're excited about all of them, but are there any in particular that stick out? You're like, man, I cannot wait for that. Or, Steve, you brought up last year, yeah. you guys were surprised you got Baltimore, Kansas City. Any on this schedule, like, oh, man, we got this one? I, I think overall the schedule is better than it was a year ago, but I don't think there is the one, bam, standout game. Uh, we've got a lot of really good high-end games, uh, especially in the NFC West, I think, right? We've got Rams. Cardinals. Rams, Cardinals, yeah. and then we yeah. have Rams 49ers like two weeks later yeah. or something like that. So so I think we're really strong in what is probably the best division in football. You know, little argument there. But um, so those are some of the games that jump out. 
I was really excited about Indy at Baltimore early on. I thought that was a sneaky, really good game, and now we have to see what happens, you know. I think, I think Bill's Titans, I think it's week three maybe. Uh, but five, I think that's five. Five or yeah. six. Uh, week five is uh, is Bill's Baltimore Colts, Philly-Dallas oh. is week three. What was the one you just said? Uh, Bill's Titans, maybe it's week six. That's week six. Yeah, yep. so Bill's Titans, I think that's going to be a, a great game. Two, obviously, playoff teams from a year ago, and they're going to be right back at, uh, there Again, this season, and and uh, so yeah, there's a and then there's some really late, good late divisional games, like you said, in the NFC West. And we get to jump into the flex for the first time ever. Yeah. Week, so we get a week 18, and we have been, you know, guaranteed. We're gonna, we get two games, doubleheader, and we've never been in the flex game before. It's kind of cool. Find out six days before we'll get a day game and a night game. I think on on that Saturday. Yep. Saturday. Saturday. Right? Saturday yep. Yeah. Uh, so that's really cool. That's good for the network. Everybody back home at ESPN is really excited about that too, as are we. Yep. So you guys were at practice, and um, you guys followed the Cardinals closely last year. Do you feel like this team's better? Last year they were 6-3, and three and they missed the playoffs. I, I said this is my 20th year, and I said in 19 years of doing this, that was the most disappointed yeah. I've ever been. Wow, it's quite a statement. And that's – I mean, look, there were teams here that weren't good, weren't yep. competitive, and then there were teams like the team that went to the Super Bowl that exceeded expectations. Last year, through nine games, Kyler Murray was an MVP candidate. The Cardinals ha- seemed to have the, the it factor with the Hail Mary to beat a really good Buffalo team here. And then at the end of the season, they just ran out of gas. They had some injuries, obviously, but just fell apart. The home loss to the 49ers, which I missed because of COVID. And then the loss at the Rams, Kyler gets hurt, and it just was – an extremely disappointing way to end the year. But they were a playoff team for most of the year and didn't make the playoffs. Do you guys see them as a playoff team in 2021? I do. Um, and, and I, you know, we just talked with Kyler Murray, and I asked him about how the last two games uh, and how they went down felt and, and what it meant and, and how it informed how the offseason was going to play out. Um, and he said it was miserable. And that's what you want to hear mm-hmm. uh, from, from your quarterback. And he was right off the tip of his tongue. Listen, you can't lose to you know two division opponents that are playing backup and third-string quarterbacks with the playoffs on the line. If you lose like that, that's going to leave a mark. That's going to leave a, a, a stain, and it should on this organization. Um, and I think there's a bigger sense of urgency this year because of that. Um, I think you see them going out and trying to find free agent players that, that bring leadership. Obviously, J.J. Watt is at the top of that food chain, one of the best players to ever play the game and one of the best leaders to ever be a part of the National Football League. And we talked with him as well. And, and his attitude, his approach, for one second, take the on-the-field stuff away with J.J., okay? And let's just talk about how he's going to impact this team off the field. I don't think that you can measure that. I don't think that you can measure um, the way that he interacts with guys you know, like Zayvon Collins, like uh, Kyler Murray, um, young wide receivers, Rondale Moore. I mean, you can't put a value on that. And I think this team needs that. I think that they wilted down the stretch a year ago. And we can. there's a number of reasons why. Lack of a consistent running game, Kyler's nicked up, so on and so forth, defense. Um, but I think what they've done in the offseason is at least give themselves a chance to, to create the right chemistry. So there's no – complacency in the first half of the season when you go 6-3 and three and you think that you've arrived and made it. Uh, and all of a sudden you don't work as hard you know, maybe in the second half of the season. Um, the leadership piece of it on both sides of the ball, you bring in a guy like Rodney Hudson, unbelievable player at the center position, still a top five center in the league, 
and he's interacting day-to-day with Kyler Murray and taking stuff off of Kyler's plate from a protection standpoint, taking care of the entire offensive line. I mean, so you ask me, are they better? I do think they're better. But at the end of the day, they're in the toughest division of football, and you have to have a quarterback that's going to take that next step. And what is that next step for Kyler? We know he's athletic. He can throw the football. He can run. It's getting to the playoffs. It's being able to grind through adversity. It's being able to be detail-oriented and lead now that Larry Fitzgerald is gone. He has to take that vacuum and run with it and be the leader on this team when the time is tough, not just when things are going well, but when there's adversity, which is the thing he hasn't faced in his life in high school or college. He's now facing it now. Good thing this is a podcast because this was a game broadcast. The other team would have the ball by now. It was four and hey, a half minutes. In these preseason games, we're good, we're good with that. Eat some clock. Let's go down to Lisa Salters. Let's talk to some of the fans in the stands. Um, listen, I, I think that veteran leadership is very important. I remember seeing in all the uh, the offseason transactions, like the Cardinals, all these big-name household, household names. Now, how much do they have left in the tank? How much you know, will they perform on the field uh, is one thing. But you get all these – I, I thought the Cardinals were going to dominate the national TV schedule. I thought they'd be in prime time even more than they actually are because of that. This is a star-studded roster. It, it really is. So, so I think the veteran leadership will help uh, this team through the, through the rough patches, which are inevitable for every team around the league. Uh, it sounds silly to say that health is such a factor because also that's, you know, that's league-wide as well. But, you know, if Kyler's 100% at the end of the season last year, they're probably in the playoffs, probably are a playoff team. So maybe that offensive line improvements will help his protection, uh, actually protect him physically, not pass protect. You know, I mean, keep him, uh, keep him healthy. We'll see how much he's going to run explosive wide receivers. I think the running game remains a question mark as well. But I think we're going to find out something about the Cardinals this year. And if it's not a playoff team, bud, I think this team could look very, very different the following season. Sure. I think Coach, uh, Coach Kingsbury knows this, this is a big year. The team has not won. He hasn't won, by the way. You know, I think he's got five years dating back to you know Texas Tech uh, without a winning season. So I, I think this is kind of a prove-it year for the Cardinals, and that goes for Kyler, too. He's got to step up. Now, he's not just a kid anymore, right? Now it's time, year three, to step up and show everybody, and you can do it for the whole season. So Cliff was on this podcast, and I asked him, you know this is an important year for everybody in the organization. How do you handle those expectations? And he told us, I thought it was a great answer. He said, you know, looking back, and Cliff's always been very humble and actually brought up a time, I think you and I were doing the game when Johnny Manziel was yeah. playing at A&M, and he was the offensive coordinator, and you walked out of the meeting with Cliff, and you're like, that, that guy's a head coach. Like yeah. just his presence, how intelligent he is, but also just his humility. And he told me during our – interview for the podcast that getting fired at Texas Tech was the best thing that happened to him because it and when you get fired at a place where you played and you're from Texas and everybody knows you there so there's no escape there's no hiding yeah you have to deal with it every day for a while he said that helped him become better and be prepared for an NFL job I thought that was a really interesting answer you guys brought up Kyler Murray and look we all know how talented Kyler is he said he needs to grow and mature as a leader, and he's going to get that opportunity. Larry Fitzgerald isn't here, at least not right now. One thing that a couple of players have brought up to me that I thought was interesting, and I don't know if you can tell when you watch him, and from your standpoint, Brian, it may not even matter based on our history together and hearing what you think about quarterback play, but they said when asked, where is Kyler better? They said his arm is stronger, and it's a difference maker compared to last year. And I don't know 
how you feel about that, if you guys agree with that, or if you think, you know what, that's on the list of important things for Kyler Murray to work on and become a franchise quarterback and an MVP caliber player, arm strength is at the bottom of the list. It's all about the intangibles. It's about growing as a leader. It's about being the guy in the huddle that people look to. It's about being the guy that runs the locker room. Yeah, I would say you're accurate in, in, in that and in saying that uh, I haven't changed from four years ago. Uh, on the list of things that Kyler needed to improve, arm strength was not one of them. Uh, he's got plenty of arm. He, in fact, he throws one of the prettiest balls in, in the NFL. There's no question about that. I, I'll give you something uh, to chew on here, and maybe you've heard this or maybe you've seen it. Uh, of all the free agent acquisitions that this team brought in in the offseason – uh, and I confirmed this with, with Cliff, um, I think that Colt McCoy might be the most important. And, and, and the reasons why, and we've talked about this a little bit, Dave, um, is the relationship between Colt and, and Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray grew up in Texas kind of idolizing Colt McCoy. And I think when we talked with him about it, he said, yeah, man, that was the guy. He was at Texas. Uh, Kyler's dad went to A&M, obviously, so he couldn't you know, put a poster of, of him <laughs> on the wall. But but it was uh, it was definitely a uh, uh, he looked up to him and now that he's in the room he says listen that's Colt McCoy and he's in the room and he's helping me and he's listening to me asking me how I read things and how I do things and he's giving me feedback on 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 how other offensive coordinators that he's been around have operated in the NFL and how how he's learned over time and 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 he's a buffer between Cliff at times and Kyler. And we know that Kyler's not, you know, the most communicative quarterback in the history of the game. Uh, and I think there's an opportunity for Colt to impact his team both on and off the field in ways that I don't think the average fan at home might see. And so um, – but that is – it is true. Kyler, I think, uh, needs to grow. He needs to grow off the field. He needs to grow mentally. Uh, he needs to grow from a leadership standpoint. And those are all things we know. And, by the way, every young quarterback needs to do that. Sure. So. Um, I, I think sometimes we want to microwave Kyler Murray into you know a Patrick Mahomes kind of player because he is so talented and it is so unique and we haven't seen anything like it. Um, but I think this is just a normal growing process. Now there will come a time when you know you either put up or shut up, and we're approaching that time. But I don't think we're there yet. He's not. He's not stuck in the mud. Like we've all seen the process. We saw him in college, right? Yeah. All of us saw him in college. You saw how he acted there. We've seen him in his three years in the NFL too. He looks a year uh, more mature to me every time I see him. So he is making the move. Is it going to be quick enough to satisfy some people? Is it going to translate to more victories on the field? We'll see. And uh, The backup quarterback, Colt McCoy, thing is really interesting to me because you know, that's, that's a great headline, right? Biggest free agent acquisition. You know, nobody's thinking Colt McCoy, mm -hmm. but maybe Colt McCoy wins one of those two games late in the season last year. Maybe you're in sure. a better spot actually on the field too. Yeah, there's no question. Over Streveler, right? of course, yeah. So, uh, so that's another reason. That backup quarterback, extremely underrated position around the league. Steve, you mentioned earlier, and I agree, that the NFC West is the best division. I'm not saying that just because the Cardinals announcer. I think it's the best division. I, I don't think it's close. I think you've got four teams, assuming San Francisco is healthy. Yep. And Matthew Stafford is, without question, an upgrade from Jared Goff. Now, Seattle, they always seem to be there because of Russell Wilson. But you, you have to wonder, with this past offseason, are they growing tired of one another? And maybe is this the year that it just disbands? But as you look at the NFC West, do you have a team? And, Brian, do you have a team that you say that's the team to beat? Or is it, you know what, I could see one of three or one of four teams winning the division? 
I think the 49ers are the most interesting team in the division. Um, no team got beaten up uh, injury-wise at the most critical positions than San Francisco did a season ago. So uh, we're going to see how the quarterback position plays out. I am fascinated by the 49ers, though. Uh, they seem to be healthy coming into, into the season now. Um, but, you know, everybody's wow on Trey Lance. But I think people are just forgetting about Jimmy Garoppolo a little too quickly. And, and to me, the best-case scenario is Garoppolo gets them, you know, five, six weeks in, seven weeks in, keeps them in the race, and then if they think Trey Lance is ready to go. But I don't know if they're the best team. That's probably for Brian to say. But I think the 49ers are among the most interesting stories league-wide. They'll be a fun team to watch. I think any one of the four teams could win the division. And uh, I don't know if we would have said that last year. Yeah, I guess everybody was, was hoping that Arizona would be there at the end, but I don't know that how many people actually believed it. Um, I believe they could be there at the end. I watched this team play San Francisco week one last year, and, and they handled them. Now, you watch the last two games of the year, and the Rams hold this offense to seven points. So I do think that, that the Cardinals offensively are going to have to continue to evolve and get better because the defensive coordinators in, in this conference, in this division, are now have a book on Kyler Murray, and they're not going to allow him to run around and, and do all the things that he, he liked to do in college. Um, so I think you're going to have to uh, continue to evolve. But I think there's no question. The Rams, in my mind right now, with the addition of Matthew Stafford, are the cream of the crop in, in the division. Can anybody see Seattle in last place? I mean, yeah. in your head you can, right? But it yeah. would look weird on paper, right? To see the standings, see Seattle Seahawks last place in that division. No but could absolutely could yeah. happen this season. Yeah. You guys did some uh, Trevor Lawrence's games at Clemson. I've done Trevor Lawrence's games, and Brian's probably going to hate this, but like – what else is new? I don't even know what you're going to say. Well, He's going to hate it. So. He, he, Mr. Happy. He has it all, right? He has yeah. it all. He looks, at, But as a guy, too, not just as a player. He, he may – you know, Brian Greasy may not look like Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence, by all the measurables, yeah. A+. plus. Do you guys see any way this guy is not an absolute superstar in the NFL? Yeah, yeah. There's always a way. I mean, Jamarcus Russell looked like an unbelievable player, right? I mean, Ryan Leaf. I mean, there's there's been a lot of them. I'm not David, saying David Carr. I'm not saying that this kid is going to be that, but there are no slam dunks when you come to quarterbacks making a transition from college to the NFL. And uh, I I love what Trevor Lawrence brings to the table. Um, I think it's like just like Kyler is unique. This kid's unique. We have never seen a guy that tall with that kind of speed. Right, I mean, you would, maybe you talk about Josh Allen being the only real mm-hmm. uh, comparison, but uh, listen, I reserve judgment until I see a guy get hit in the mouth repeatedly, and he's going to be on a team that's not going to be as good from a talent standpoint. He's going to get knocked down in the dirt time after time after time, and can he answer that bell? Can he do what Peyton did? Okay in his first year with the Indianapolis Colts, and they were god-awful, and he threw more interceptions than any quarterback in the history of the game. Could he have that kind of a season and come back? Because it's not going to go you know, all roses and champagne in Jacksonville. I want to see after that first year, how does he come back in year two? But he has all the, the talent, no question. There's some Kyler stuff there for me too, right? Obviously not the size and the way they play the game, but having no track record of, of losing, right? I mean, you know, I mean, Trevor Lawrence in, in college, they're just killing everybody, right? There's no adversity for him. And uh, he had that one stretch early on through a couple interceptions. They clean, Dabo cleaned that up 
and they, they went on from there. So, yes, how does he do when things will not go well and they could be a last-place team in that division? Um, you know, I know they've improved some of the talent around him. Oh, Houston's in that division, so they'll probably be second last. <laughs> second to last? Good point. I sort of forgot about the Texans there. They've sort of dropped off the map a little bit. Um, I don't know, and, and I don't know. Coach Cully's putting together a squad. <laughs> uh, but he, if you like, I feel like Trevor, if anyone has been groomed to be the man, Trevor Lawrence has been that guy for a long time on everybody's radar, you know, since coming out of the womb. Luke and Bill was talking about him 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so uh, let's, let's see how they do coming out. But at least there's some buzz. That's good for the league, right? Let's get Jack, you know, we're talking about Houston falling off the page. Let's get Jacksonville back on the NFL map. Give him a little buzz. Leaves, before you were doing Monday Night Football, in addition to your college football play-by-play duties, you were doing Monday Night Countdown. Obviously, you're still doing SportsCenter, and you've been doing SportsCenter forever. So I assume you've known Tom Brady over the last yeah. couple of decades. Brian obviously played with Tom. It tells you how old Brady is. He played with Greasy, who played more than a decade in the NFL. Yeah. Brian's been broadcasting now for, what, 13, 14 years, and Tom's still playing. How long do you think this is going to go? Because Brady wants to play till he dies. <laughs> so, so how long is I this? I it was just 45. <laughs> now it's till he dies? Isn't he 45 right now? Or no, 44. 44. Okay. 44 yeah, yeah. He's two years younger than me. That's how I keep track. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, who's going to doubt Tom Brady? Um, you know, I don't think there's any Super Bowl hangover in Tampa. Not with him. I don't think he'll allow that. I think he's figured it out. I think, I think he's got a a master plan that is better than everyone else's, and obviously that speaks to his talent. But I think the mental aspect, I think he knows uh, how to lead. I think he's proven that. You talk about, you know, going through some adversity uh, early on in the season, right? They didn't look great coming on in the beginning of the season, and we were there, and there's a point where, like, you know, can't throw the deep ball anymore. Remember that, right? 25 consecutive pass attempts of 20 or more yards without a completion or whatever like that. So We were throwing dirt on Drew Brees and Tom Brady in the first quarter of last year. <laughs> Remember, at the same time. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he can do it for as long as he wants, and he's surrounded by uh, the right cast on the field and the correct head coach which wasn't Bill Belichick, which is Bruce Arians, I think. Let me ask you this question. If, if you felt good and you could still do your job broadcasting and you were around a great team, why the heck would you give it up? Yep. You know, so Tom's – Tom, I guarantee you this, Tom's not even thinking about retirement. Is he the same guy? Like when you talk to him now, Greece, is he the same as he was in college? When I say that, obviously we all grow and mature, but – Generally speaking, is yeah. he the same guy? No, he is the same guy. He was raised – his parents, um, I got to know them a little bit in college. They are wonderful people, and they grounded him. He had four old – he has four older sisters who, you know, any boy who grows up with four older sisters, you're going to have um, some some tough days and, and nights, you know. Um, but I think that he – uh, he was raised the right way, and, and he's got values. I, listen, there's been so many – you know, stories and articles written about Tom Brady. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but he is the same guy. He's genuine. Um, he cares about his friends and the people that are in his inner circle. And he has an ability to compartmentalize um, and and really loves, is passionate about the game more so. We talk with, with players every week. Um, rarely do you find a player as passionate about the process and playing football as you do Tom Brady. And that's why he's doing what he's doing. He is willing to sacrifice more than the guy he's playing against. And 
if you want to boil it all down, like that's why Tom Brady is who he is. And it, it is the football, right? He, he still loves the game. Like, they don't need the money, right? right? Right, I mean, it's not about the cash. It's not about the glory. He's already the GOAT we all know. Uh, people will be chasing him forever. So he must still love the game and the competition. Mm. You'd think that would wane on some people, not, not on him. I remember being in the bubble for the NBA a year ago or two, whenever it was. It feels like 30 years ago. But I remember being in the bubble a year ago and Mark Jackson, who is the, you know, the top ESPN NBA analyst along with Jeff Van Gundy, Mark is a Brady fan, so he became a Buccaneers fan when Tom left New England and went to Tampa. And I'm sitting there having a meal with Mark and Jeff and Breen and some of the other people down in the bubble, and we're talking about Bruce Arians. And I said, you watch. It'll be at the most week three. will be the latest, and B.A. will throw him under the bus to the media, and it will work. Yeah. And they're like, no way. He's not going to do that to Bray. He said, no, he will, yep. and it will work. Was it week two? I think it was week <laughs> one. I think it was after they yeah. lost was, week there one. There were multi- multiple games yeah. last year yeah. publicly. Everybody was like, whoa, hey, nobody, <laughs> nobody talks about Tom like that. But it works. Perfect. When we do uh, games for people that are listening that don't know the mechanics of the week leading up to a game, a lot of people think you just show up, put the headset on, do the game, and that's it, and you go home. That's a big part of it. But <laughs> part of the preparation is having a meeting with – the, there are some people that just do that. Right? We know them. We're not going to talk about them and Why say their names. Just name one or two. Uh, one guy's initials are BW, who I work with on basketball. No, I'm kidding. He actually does prep, but he does prep for things that Bill Walton were talking about that have nothing to do with the game. They have to do right. with the city, or you know, he calls Pullman, Washington, uh, the Rome of the Northwest. You know, seven oh, hills yeah. versus oh, four hills. Doesn't everyone? Like you know, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we do is we sit down with coaches and talk about the game, talk about scheme, strategy, talk about player uh, evaluation. What are your production meetings like with Bruce Arians? <laughs> Last of, year we were on of, Zoom. A lot of swearing. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that's been one of the really cool things for me, Dave, being in the NFL, right? Exposing yourself to professional coaches. And uh, Arians is right up there with my favorite Zoom of all the head coaches. Yeah. He's like a regular guy off the street in a lot of ways, right? If I could have a beer with one guy, one head coach, I always say I'd want it to be B.A. of the current head coaches. I feel like He would have it with you, by yeah. the way. He would not, uh, <laughs> he would wouldn't not be turn beer. it down. When I texted him after they won the Super Bowl, the text I got back was the cocktail emoji. <laughs> and then I text him like a week later about something else. Two cocktail emojis. He upped it. But that's so. cool. That, that makes him regular guy, right? Absolutely. That makes him the common man. That's what everybody does or should be doing after celebration or after a hard day's work. Um I really respect it. Listen, I can get, you know, I try not to get hung up on the X's and O's on these things. Like, Therese and Lewis Riddick handle that stuff. It's way over my head. I try to pick up, you know, maybe one thing a week. Uh, And I'm interested in some of the other things. And that's sort of, you know, some of the feels and how you treat people and uh, how you coach players and uh, your philosophies on certain things. And so Arians is one of the guys I really enjoy talking to. All right, I promised it would be 30 minutes. It's 35, but I got a couple more. Is there a gift certificate or something? <laughs> oh, yeah, just you wait. <laughs> yeah, we've got dinner lined up. I, I guess I'm paying for it now. Um, two more things for you. Steve, I don't know. Do you have any idiosyncrasies that Greasy has made you aware of in terms of what you do when you call a game? Because he made me so self-conscious <laughs> working with him for four years. He claims, yeah. and I have not had another analyst confirm this, Although Jim oh, Omah- we're going to get Wolfley. We're going to get now, Wolfley Jim on Jim Omohundro, the producer who's been my producer for the Cardinals now for 20 years, 
He says that it's true, but I have a hard time believing that it's true, that when I make a call, I push away from the table. I throw myself back. Every play? No, no. And oh, big, like, oh, big, big, play. big play. Oh, do you plays. have – Because he's, he does all these voice things. He's projecting his voice and does these voice warm-ups and all these things and the diaphragm That's and all this true. kind of stuff. Todd Christensen, my, one of my first college football partners, he would belt out the national anthem. During the actual anthem, and I mean – Belt it out, scream it out, and he did that for his vocal cord. What, what do you do exactly? I, he's making thing? this up. I've oh, never done anything like that. I don't know what he's talking Hot about. Tea, yeah. I, I, I don't think I don't think I have anything. No dairy. Again, I'm still trying to figure out this whole play-by-play guy thing. As you know, I'm really a studio guy. <laughs> hey, <laughs> man, <laughs> you've been doing play-by-play between NHL. Yeah. Two stints of college football, yeah. one of football for 25 years. So when people say Levy's a studio guy, sports editor yeah. guy, just so you know, yeah. I have your back. I say, no, he's not. He's been doing play by play for 25 years. Thank you for that. I, I don't think I listen. When I get to the booth, I like to have a hot cup of black coffee. And uh, <laughs> in our four years to college, God help you if it's not hot. <laughs> like you would think, I was asking for something outlandish, like a quarter cup of Splenda. I just wanted the black coffee to be hot. Is that a lot to ask? And it became a thing every week. And I thought they were doing it to me on purpose. Now you know, lukewarm, or it would be hot. It would be a quarter of the cup full. You know, <laughs> no top on it. So it became a thing. But same, know, same with soup. Th- by the way, you know, the I'm soup a, has to be piping I'm hot. I'm a temperature guy. Cold food should be cold, hot, hot. Do you tell me, Grease, do I, do I have something? <laughs> Other than the coffee and the soup? I'm just saying, I, I don't think I have any traditions. I don't, you know, I don't put my jacket on one way. The headset could go either way on the microphone. I like my space in the booth. Yeah, he doesn't, want, he doesn't like to be touched. I, uh, I don't like to be touched. You know, people <laughs> tapping you on the shoulder. Going, I'm trying to do the game over here. Uh, we did have the line of demarcation. Ben Boma, our executive spotter, he would put, like, used to put, we used to put tape down in between us, and I did not want Greasy crossing over. <laughs> my charts are really big, and they're a mess, and I need my space. And Greasy's not looking down, right? He's watching the field, right? He's doing the football. I need, I need the other stuff. So, but I, I don't think I have a push-off. I don't think like I'm paid know. enough to do this job next right. to Steve. <laughs> do you know how lucky you are to have the two of us <laughs> consecutively? The charts are important. The yeah. like the spotting oh, broadcast boards. Like when I worked with McElroy, I'd always, always ask him if I left my bag in the car. Did you lock the car? My boards are in there. I've done like, that I don't, too. I don't yeah. care about the computer. I don't. Yeah. Care. That can all be replaced. Right. The, <laughs> the game board cannot be replaced. That's your, that's your 15 oh. hours of prep right. all week. Whatever it's your life, it is, right? And if it's gone, <laughs> listen. I don't know what your memory is like, but I'm not remembering any of that no. stuff. So. I'm just glad he stopped writing so much stuff on his board. I mean, if we look at his board yeah. two, three years ago, I mean, there wasn't a a, a centimeter of white space yep. on the board. That's Every fair. piece of it, and then and then you get to the end of the game, you feel like you feel bad because you put all the stuff on your board and you didn't get it in. Um, so he's he's. I mean, listen. I think the thing that makes our our duo work is. We don't bring the ego into the booth, right? We're there to call the game, yep. and we have a respect for each other, and we bring different opinions and ways of, of broadcasting a game and what we find interesting. And I told him, which is great, he never hesitate to ask me a question about anything because if, if he has the question, then the fan at home has the question too. And, and Steve brings a, a joviality to the booth that is you know second to none and it lightens things up and has a, a great way about him. So – uh, I'll, I'll get over the line of demarcation and the <laughs> touching and the hot coffee and well, the hot soup. And as I said, you guys were awesome last year, and I'm, I'm looking forward to year two of, of hopefully a Thank ton you. for you guys together. 
the guy that I think of that had the strangest, other than Bill Walden, idiosyncrasies working with, and Steve, you may have worked with him. I can't remember. It was Chris Spielman. Chris would, first of all, he'd have Kleenex stuck to like under his nose where he blew his nose. He'd come into the booth. On purpose? He'd take it. So I worked with Chris and Brian's dad. So I've worked with Brian. I worked with Brian's dad, Bob, for two years. And I did a game with Brian and Bob. The only game. What what year was that? That was 2009. It was at Purdue. Yeah, at Purdue. Like Minnesota, Purdue. And I I reached out and I said, hey, I'd love to do a game with my dad. I knew my dad was going to retire. And so we did a game at Purdue, my dad's alma mater. So cool. And uh, and Dave was the, the lucky one that was stuck in between dad and his and his son, and uh, it was awesome. I, mean, I still have the photograph. Uh, we went down on the field before the game and did a Sports Center hit before Damn, on the field. That's really cool. It was really, but but Spielman was a mess. Yeah, that's true. Did did the picture? Was I in the picture? And it's like, <laughs> did I have hair? And, and uh, you have proof no. of it. We went to some restaurant, and apparently it was it. It was a bar, and there was an apartment right above the bar, and that's where Kyle Orton lived. Yeah, right? the chocolate <laughs> shop. It's the chocolate shop in uh, West Lafayette. I have heard of that place. They but, call it the chocolate shop. It's really a bar, but you know when you call home to mom and she asks where you are, you right. say you're at the chocolate shop. Like the library, <laughs> yeah. college bar, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, Spielman would take his – but your dad, Bob Greasy, would always just – he laughed. He couldn't stop laughing. Like Spielman would be dragging his suitcase and the coat would be stuck under the suitcase and just dragging on the ground. He'd come into the booth. He'd throw his coat. You know, you they have hangers for us in yeah, the booth. Yeah. You'd hang up your coat. He'd take it and throw it in the corner. He'd be, you'd hear during production meetings, you'd start to hear this rustling in his pockets and he'd have candy bars. And he when he eats food, he engulfs it. One year it was me, Chris, and Urban Meyer. And Urban nicknamed him wow. the addict. Yes. Urban calls, there goes the addict. Every 37 <laughs> seconds, something's going in. <laughs> Listen, you know, you know how close I came to that Spielman experience? So I get back in the college game, I guess five years ago, whatever, six years ago, and uh, I'm told Chris Spielman's my partner for college football. And I mean the next day, Mark Gross calls me and Spielman's out. I'm like, I didn't even do anything. What, what? It's one day. And here, you know, I've already Googled him. I've researched him now. Okay, he's my next partner. And I was told, well, who am I getting? We'll get, well, we'll give you Greasy. <laughs> I'm like, do you have to say it like that? You know, like, wait, Greasy's getting promoted that high up? The, wow, that was quick. Look, wow. look at how much you avoided of Spielman. <laughs> Dips bid on your boards. I mean. Oh, yeah, your boards were finished. They had no shot. <laughs> Those lines of demarcation would never have been placed in the God. first. Yeah. All right, the last thing, because I, I have to ask you this, Grease, and Steve, maybe you have a memory. Yep. Uh, you may have been doing Monday Night Countdown. You may have actually been here for the Monday Night Meltdown in 2006 Bears-Cardinals. Brian was the backup quarterback to Rex Grossman. And the Arizona Cardinals are doing something called Cards Folk Tales, telling stories from some of the great moments in Cardinals history, going back to the Super Bowl year, Pat Tillman, a lot of different things. And one of them is the Monday Night Meltdown, not just the game, but the post game, because that's when Denny Green did the whole thing of the Bears. Yes. They are who we thought they yes. were. Yes. From your perspective, because I told the story when they interviewed me and talking about the game, mm-hmm. I told the story, but I want you to tell the story of what it was like at halftime, when you guys are down, and did you think you were going in the game? Oh, yes. I, I was like – I mean, I was ready to go in the game. I'm, just so to refresh people's memory, this was Rex Grossman was the quarterback for the Bears. And we had – ultimately, we ended up going to the Super Bowl that year. We had an unbelievable defense, top two or three defense in the NFL, and we had Devin Hester. And and so that was – we all we had to do on offense was just not mess it up and get out of the way. Um, and Rex had a, a an awful game, um, and I think that I think that the, what was the score at halftime? 
It was 20, 21. To no, 20 to nothing. We were down at least at least three touchdowns. That's what I that I remember. And, and it was Matt Leinert, by the way, was starting a quarterback. Kurt Warner was the backup. Right. Kurt Warner and Brian right. Greasy were the backups that day. Wow. Anyway, go and ahead. And I'm and I'm thinking to myself at halftime, like like this is this has got to be it. And you know, Lovey Smith was our was our coach, and he had a commitment to Rex. And I think what he said at halftime, he said, "Listen, you know, get ready. If if things don't work in the first drive, you're going to go in." And um, and so I'm just thinking there's no way that we can come back in this game if if we don't score at least 28 points, you think, on offense and, and our defense holds them to uh, one touchdown. Um, but the way that the game ended up uh, being decided is we didn't score an offensive touchdown and we still came back and won the game, which is just like – Defensive scores, Devin Hester. I mean, it, and and De- Denny Green was right after the game to say the Bears are who he thought they were. He thought they were a good defense, great special teams, and the offense couldn't get out of the way. And that's who that's who we were. Right on. That's who we ended up being. And um, but that is still to this day the most uh, unbelievable, crazy game that I've ever been a part of, playing or calling a game. Uh, to think that we would come back without scoring, you know, on, on offense and and win that game, it, it just, I mean, if I was a Cardinals fan, I would I would be pulling my hair out. It was twenty to nothing at halftime. Yeah. It was twenty three to ten going into the fourth quarter. Edron James fumble. Charles Tillman returns at forty yards for a touchdown. And then two minutes later, Scott Player punt returned. Devin Hester, eighty three yards. Devin Hester for a touchdown. 24-23 Bears. That sounds like uh, 28-3 in the Super Bowl, right? The the Patriots coming back against, you know, the Falcons in that kind of game. You just need everything. I mean, that's even worse, and that was, like, I think, late third quarter at 28-3. So, uh, I was not here for that, but Brian has, has told me that story multiple times. I think every time we walk around on the field down here, oh, that night, we, that great comeback. So, it's a good story for sure. I don't know why Cardinal fans want to relive that. Though. I know. It, it, it was awful. Uh, I remember, I think that was Mike. I think that was the first year ESPN had Monday Night Football, and it was Mike Tirico. But, uh, we can't end on that story. One of my positive stories about coming here was after September 11th, 2001, yeah. the first game that we played after 9-11 was, was here in Arizona, and, and to see the fans in the stands. And Pat Tillman was, was still on the team uh, at the time, obviously. And, and so that, that memory is also seared. Uh, into my memory banks about being uh, being here. And, and the other one about Arizona, while I'm dumping them all out, we were supposed to play. I was playing with the Dolphins. We're playing the Chargers uh, on a Monday uh, – on a Monday – it, was it wasn't a Monday. It was a Sunday game that was canceled due to fires uh, in San Diego. And so we went to Tempe uh, to play the Chargers. It turned out being a Monday night game, and the, the stands were open. You guys remember this? The stands were open to all the ASU uh, – Students and that still to this day was probably one of the most raucous and rowdy fan bases uh, because, as you can imagine, all those college students coming straight from the uh, fraternity house without having to pay to get in. I think all the tickets were free, if I recall yeah. correctly. Yeah, and, like anybody could go. So yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Did Tillman light you up in that game, by the way? Uh, Pro- probably. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sure. A good chance. Six. A good chance. Yeah. He was man. Just a canned answer. Yes. That's when I ask you if something he bad happened. He was. He was. He was <laughs> unbelievable. He was. You know. You, even before he he gave up football and went into the military, he was so well respected across the league, not only from his team but from opponents, and so you just knew about Pat Tillman. Everybody knew his story, and then when he did what he did, obviously it just went to a, another level. 
Go eat lunch. Thanks, guys, for doing this. Really appreciate you both. And uh, yeah, man. This speaking of lunch, you know, continue to get your free lunch here doing these yeah. podcasts from the Cardinals. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Let's do this every day. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine by me. I got to record like fifty of these. So, all right, fellas. Thank you. Yeah, man. Be well. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good season. Good luck to the Cardinals in the playoffs. Pretty strong takes from Greasy and Levy on Kyler Murray, the Cardinals, and the NFC West. Can't wait to watch my friends call Monday Night Football games again this season. Also, how about the perspective that Greasy had on the Monday Night Meltdown? Just think, if the Cardinals beat the Bears in 2006, Greasy probably replaces Rex Grossman and maybe leads the Bears beyond what they accomplished that year. And remember, they went to the Super Bowl that year, losing to Peyton Manning and the Colts. Instead, Greasy stayed the backup thanks to the Bears' miraculous comeback. That'll do it for today's edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod, to get the latest on upcoming podcasts and also a look back at previous episodes of the Dave Pash Podcast, which include guests Cliff Kingsbury, Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, Pro Bowl Safety, Buda Baker, and ESPN analyst Mina Kimes. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, as well as Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Until next time, I'm Dave Pash. Thanks for listening to the Dave Pash Podcast.